0: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
1: Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time of The Ben Jarofsky Show. We have our two guests, not one guest, two guests, and now has become a tradition
2: Whoa. (laughs) Oh, nobody cry. We just spilled some milk. Uh (laughs) Uh (laughs) milk And it's buttermilk, too, which (laughs) is already curdled.
0: That's going to smell. Boy,
2: boy, there's been a lot of beer spilled on this floor of this building, but Uh, uh, probably the first time there's (laughs) been uh, buttermilk with... uh, this was. Oh, uh, this is Ben's missing. Yeah, Ben's missing, missing when yeah.
1: he was uh, fired from that radio show, which I can't remember the name of it anymore. Anyway,
0: no, let, neither can anyone else. Nobody now. else
1: can remember it. Uh, let us. Let's have our guest. It was
2: WCPTA twenty. Oh, thank you,
1: Dave.
2: <laughs> <laughs> can we do a time check or a legal ID? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's 92 degrees <laughs> outside. it's uh, a anyway, day in the Windy City. Let's ha- let's have our guests
1: introduce themselves, starting with this guest right there.
0: I am Kitty Kurth, and my Twitter account tells me that I am a political strategist, social justice crusader, communicator that owns a PR firm called Kurth Lampy Worldwide that has international reach and Chicago know-how. And I host a podcast called Girl Pundits, because... Girls know just as much about this stuff as the boys do.
2: That is for certain. And this guest? I'm Travis McGee. I'm the hero of 22 (laughs) mystery novels written by John D. McDonald, beginning in the 60s and ending in the 80s. I give you credit for knowing that. Um, Oh, if you want to get into some heavy John John D. D. McDonald McDonald trivia. Amazing writer who wrote every day from 9.30 to 11.30, broke for lunch, wrote again in the afternoon until 3 o'clock, and then had cocktails. Wow. Um, With all that? He only managed to write twenty-two novels. Whoa, oh, there's twenty-two novels in the Travis McGee series. Ah. He wrote five thousand short stories. I take it back. And a um, hundred novels. Okay, more than a hundred novels. And wrote three whole Travis McGee novels before he wrote the series to see if he could get it right, and threw all of them wow. away.
1: And I think I'm a big deal because I write a column every now and then. Uh, <laughs> all right, young man, tell us go. tell us who you really are.
2: Oh, but. Monday through Friday I play Kevin Lampy in a reality show called Kurth Lampy Worldwide. All right, and so and, and I am the smartest man in the world because I married Kitty Kurth. There we go. And we call them the political love couple
1: here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, and they're making their first bonus uh, appearance. So welcome both, Kitty Kurth and Kevin Lamp. So
2: it's like a bonus. Does this mean like after all the tracks play on the CD, there'll be another song, and it'll be us? Yes. yes. That's Isn't exactly that, right. It's exactly Except right. right. Except we
0: don't get a bonus for being here. I don't see chocolate. Well, I don't see a beer. No, here we have lifesavers.
1: Lifesavers. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. No, no, don't get the lifesavers. No, We've been moved know, okay. from uh, the lifesavers Used to be there, and then our last bonus guest, who will go unmentioned, got everybody else in trouble because she kept taking the lifesavers out while I was asking the question. Open the lifesavers, and then, yep. Yeah. Who was I forget who it was. Oh, we're trying not to. Uh, yeah, no, I just forgot who it was. We don't have to It was her. Morgana the we Kissing Bandit. Mendoza. Oh, Mendoza! <laughs> She's Santa Mendoza. The state controller. You're you right. You should
0: have charged her extra taxes for them.
1: Yes. Uh, all right, uh, so uh, it's Kitty Kurth and Kevin Lampy in the studio. And, uh, well, God, i got a whole list of things to ask them about. But you know what? Kitty Kurth in, on a Ben Jarovsky show. She knows... What's coming? The Joe Biden question. Grandpa Joe, okay. as we call him on this show. Uh, I know you're not working for him now, but in the past, you have mm-hmm. been a big fan of Joe Biden. And, and I am
0: a big fan okay, of Joe ahead. Biden.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
0: uh, I, but I haven't heard what he has to say. Maybe Don, maybe D can help me out here.
3: Uh, <laughs> well, all right. All right uh, did you, you have that thing ready to go? Yeah, this is from CNN today. I heard this this morning. And I just, I don't know, it's just very interesting. Uh, like I was telling you, uh, Ben, in 2016... I think this dude would have been smooth sailing, going right through it. And it's just, I don't know, very different now in 2019, you know. Uh, It says here, uh, Biden, I wasn't prepared for how Harris came at me. Former Vice President Joe Biden speaks to CNN's Chris Cuomo about his performance in his first Democratic debate, saying he was not prepared for the way Senator Kamala Harris confronted him on his record with busing and school desegregation. So Uh, here's the interview. Uh, Oh, by the way, this is pretty long, so just tell me when to pause and you guys can weigh in. Cool.
4: You and Jill, you said you were expecting to have a target on your back, but the intensity of some of it. Did you see the questions about your past positions from the perspective of race being as relevant as they are? No, and I don't think they're relevant because they're taken out of context. What I didn't see is people who know me. I mean, they know me well. Uh, (laughs) It's not like... uh, somebody just came out of the blue didn't know anything but it's so easy to go back and go back 30 40 50 years and take a context and take it completely out of context and i mean you know i i get all this information about other people's past and what they've done and not done and you know i'm just not going to go there if we keep doing that that's i mean what we should debating what we do from here for example this whole thing about race and busing Well, you know, I think if you take a look, our positions aren't any different, as we're finding out. Um, With Senator Harris, who said she sees it as a tool, not a must in all circumstances. Yeah, well, (laughs) look at my record. I don't think busing is about policy, Mr. Vice President. No, it's not. I think it was about principle. When you look back at your record on it, you were not in favor of busing. It was a different time. There were different applications. Why not just own it and say, I was against it, but now I've changed. I was was in favor of busing that was de jure busing. That is, if a a court ruled that there was a law passed or circumstance that a, a county, a city, a state did that prevented black folks from being somewhere, then that's wrong. You should bus. I even went so far in the middle of that busing controversy was saying, I use helicopters if that was necessary to make the point. And we really got in a town meeting that was, got very hot. But what the issue is now is, for example, and it was then, voluntary busing, we supported it. Mm. We supported it then. And by the way, Barack and I, as president and vice president, we provided money for voluntary busing if cities wanted to do it. I'm not questioning
1: it. All right, that's Joe Biden's explanation in an interview. I love it when the media gives... <laughs>
4: advice To the, uh, I, you know, I'm
2: tempted to do that myself. What you should have said was X, Y, Z. Well, you know,
0: now, consider <laughs> you know, who the know,
2: media was. You know who was legendary at yeah, that. Andy Daddy. Shaw. Andy Shaw used to love Chris Hayes's father-in-law. Yeah. Andy Shaw used to love to call us up and say, "You should be doing this on your campaign." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Off
0: the record. <laughs> hey, here's what you should be doing.
1: Um, <laughs> Off the. I love it. Well, Andy had just been out. Uh, <laughs>
0: having said that. Yeah. Having said that. Look who he was getting advice from. Chris Cuomo, Mario Cuomo's son. Chris and Andrew, you know, and the other kids, they kind of grew up getting political advice. So I would imagine it's very hard for Chris Cuomo to not give political advice.
1: Fair enough. So what political advice would you give Joe Biden? So
0: I, um, more than advice, I just want to make an observation. Mm -hmm. I... I have spent a lot of time with Joe Biden. I know Joe Biden. He is not a guy that controls his emotions well. Um, He's an honest guy. He is just an honest guy. And he didn't see that coming from Kamala Harris. I saw in his face how I could see the personal hurt that he was like, why are you attacking me for this? This isn't, you know, you know me, Kamala, why are you attacking me for this? And then when Eric Swaywell, like, right before or right after also talked to him about um about the torch about passing the torch it you just could see in biden's face the hurt he was genuinely hurt by it he didn't come there to attack any of the other candidates and i know he was warned i'm sure he was prepared for it he's probably prepared intellectually but he wasn't prepared emotionally for it
2: well i was in the theater um when this exchange happened um, you could have heard a pin drop. There was only two times it was dead silent in the theater, no people shifting in their chairs or anything like that. He was, was during the Camellus attack and then the pass the torch attack from uh, Eric. All right, I have two add, uh, reactions to this, which I've
1: stated, uh, but I'll, t- I'll share them with you. Uh, I separate the two, one, pass the torch. I, I always say i wish joe had said i'll take that torch sunny and stick <laughs> it up here uh but see that's the geezer in me upset that the young feller not showing respect for papa okay uh so that was my attitude toward the pass the torch thing like when you've done something in your life young feller then i'll pass the torch to you uh but i felt as though uh, kamala harris's uh issue was legitimate issue uh i know we are not supposed to want to we do busing. I'm a big a f- a fan of busing. I know busing is exceedingly unpopular. It uh, was unpopular, or even more so at the time. It was dismantled here in the city of Chicago. Vallas and Daly didn't think we should waste money. That's how they viewed it, wasting money on busing. Uh, and so they cut back on it. But I would have loved to have, I, I don't, I would have loved to have heard an honest exchange on the issue of integration and you know the policies and Personally, I would have loved that. Do you disagree with me on that?
0: No, I just think it's so complicated. And what I was, I was happy that I didn't get that question because I didn't even know which era of busing she was talking about. And busing in the seventies and in the you know in the. 70s was different from busing in the 90s and are you busing because there's the white separatist segregation schools or are you busing because you're trying to get kids to magnet schools like i was legit so happy i did not have to answer that question because i didn't understand I thought she, there, there wasn't enough context in the no, question. Out. when you say
1: you didn't have to answer the question, Kitty. You mean uh, the, as if you were a strategist for Joe Biden? Is that what you mean by that? Or
0: a candidate. <laughs> Just okay. like a person yeah. up there having to answer. or uh, And as Joe Biden or as any one of the other candidates. Because I thought it was, I didn't know what she was talking about, mm-hmm. honestly. I was like, are you talking about the 70s? Are you talking about the 60s? Are you talking about last week? Well, that would have
1: been a very good answer. hmm I mean, right there, he just gave a better answer than Joe Biden did. Which, but You would have said, Kamala, what are you talking, which busing are you talking about, you know?
0: Yeah, which era? what What part of the country? Yeah. You know, it's very different.
2: Mm-hmm. I think what, one of the things that like Joe, when he said the word prepared, it wasn't that, he, I don't think he's referring to the fact that he wasn't prepared for this by his staff. I think he was saying, I was not emotionally prepared.
0: I didn't think
1: that I would have to defend my
2: record on on racial relations. Well, here's the irony.
1: I mean, on that point, uh, Kevin, I, I assume from the get go that Joe Biden's strength coming into this election was the fact that for eight years he was Barack Obama's wingman. He was the vice president. Uh, he was the white guy from Pennsylvania, the every, everyday Joe that Barack Obama turned to to prove to white America or to reassure white America that it would not be frightening electing a black guy from Chicago named Barack Obama as their president.
2: Exactly. And that and that's what we've talked to one other time on the show with you is one of Barack Obama's strengths. He's able to identify the perfect person who can solve a problem for him. And he grabs that person and he uses them and uses all the talent out of them and takes advantage of it. But he has an ability, like a laser, to find this is the person that's gonna fix this for me. And Joe Biden fixed it for him, right, Kitty?
0: And Joe Biden fixed it for him. And if you remember, there was some discussion that um, Chris Dodd was also being looked at by the Biden or by the Obama campaign, mm-hmm. and Chris would have brought the same relationships in the Senate, the foreign policy expertise, the gravitas. But Joe had that connection with regular folks that Chris Dodd probably didn't have. Although he's a really nice, smart guy, but um, but. That is what Joe brought and that is why Obama wanted him. And you're right. It I but Kevin Kevin you're absolutely right. You can mark this down in history. Mark this <laughs> down in history. And put this no, on a loop. It was it was not that he hadn't that he wasn't prepared like yeah. he didn't know that candidates would attack yeah. him, but I think just emotionally. I think both times that the younger candidates went after him, he was just emotionally hurt by it you yeah. could see it in his face yeah he wears his heart on his sleeve and his emotions on his face you could see it
1: all right so let's get a prediction before we go back to the camp because i really want to ask you what it was like to be in the hall but let's let's get a a, a prediction regarding uh joe biden Many people wrote him off after the, that debate. They said, oh, man, dude's old. He couldn't handle it. He stumbled. He gave up his time. Remember, like all the other candidates were talking to the very end when they finally had to cut him off. He goes, I think I'm out of time. Who gives up their time unless you run out of things to say? So the, the the takeaway from that debate is Joe Biden is through. Kitty Kurth. You've known Joe Biden for years. Uh, you were a supporter of Joe Biden. You wanted him to run in 2016. We talked about that on this show. Do you think we're going to see a different Joe Biden in the upcoming debate?
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the <music building> up.
0: <laughs> and we're going to see a different everybody. Every debate has its own energy, its own, you know, debates are kind of like living beings everyone is a little different and i want kevin to talk about like being in the room and what things felt Wait, like out.
1: you weren't in the room
0: i was in the spin room
1: oh okay so there are two rooms all right yeah let's, he was
0: in, I in was the, in the theater room okay. i was in the spin room all
1: right let's go back so we're here i was
0: spinning you guys
1: <laughs> Ooh, <my head>. Ooh. <laughs> it's going around you got me going in circles anyway all right so let's go back uh it's miami and you're in a debate. Why are you there, by the way? Why are you there? Because we
2: are working with Marianne Williamson. Ah, aha. The cat is out of the bag. Yes, my, yes. Well, Marianne, it's, uh, it's been posted on the, uh, uh, you because know. Because
0: since 2004. Here's my Marianne Williamson
2: button. There yes. you
0: go. <laughs> and lovely. since 2004, when Dennis Kucinich and I ran into each other at some Democratic event in D.C. And I think I was at this event with Lynn Sweet if I'm not mistaken. From the Chicago Sun-Times. From the Chicago Sun-Times. But Dennis Kucinich started talking to me about this idea for this thing called the Department of Peace. We've got a Department of War. Why shouldn't we have a Department of Peace? To work internationally, to strengthen our public diplomacy, to prevent war, to do peace building in former, formerly war-affected countries, to work Domestically, in neighborhoods that have violence where they need trauma assistance and they need to do violence intervention, why shouldn't we have a Department of Peace? To me at the time, it sounded like the best idea I'd heard in a long time. I was disappointed that Dennis didn't go farther with it in 2004, but he and Marianne Williamson got together and started an NGO called the Peace Alliance to try to move the support for the Department of Peace along. And, you know, I think in this election cycle particularly – With all these great ideas out there, everybody should be pushing for the ideas that they really believe in. So if you care about climate change, you should be for Jay Inslee. If you care about the Department of Peace and the Department of Children and Reparations, you should be for Marianne Williamson. You know, this is an ideas election election whoever wins the primary and it may well be joe biden it may well be elizabeth warren it may well be kamala harris it may well be marianne williamson it could be tom steyer we don't know at this point in time but at this point in time in the primary this is the time to push for the issues that you care about and that you think democrats should be listening to
2: right. it's, like a, it's a horse race and, and the horses aren't even in the paddock yet you know, let you know. Let's let, let the them get out. Let's run. get them exercise. Yeah. Let's run around the track a few times. Then let's we'll start making bets. But let the horses run. Um, we're in such you know. I, I get frustrated. You know, who's going to be the decider? Well, we have to cut this trail down to four or five what? people. Okay. What? And so what? We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get the Ghost of Mirror Daily. We're gonna get the Boss <laughs> Tweed, probably Boss Hogg yeah. from Dukes of Hazard. Will come in yeah. and they'll side, decide who the last five people are going to be. Yeah. No,
1: it's funny you should say this because. Uh, our guest just recently in a recent show uh, who you may have passed going in the elevator on your way out uh, Marge Hoppern from Indivisible Chicago was like alright can we hurry up and get it down to four candidates why yeah. uh, well if I can um, channel my uh, inner Marge and go back to that conversation. Uh, her attitude, and I think D, I'm doing a good job of paraphrasing, is that it's confusing to have so many candidates uh, on stage. That the me- the message of the Democratic Party uh, is um, uh, is not singular, and uh, our focus is not as tight as it should be, and uh, so the. Better, the faster we get down to four, the better off we I'm are.
0: I'm sorry that Marge isn't here because I have a probably polar opposite view of that. If we could have guessed what the most important issues were going to be in 2016, two years ago or even a year ago, we wouldn't have been able to guess because things have come up. That, you know, Who would have guessed that we would even be talking about reparations as a serious national discussion that's amazing. I've been trying to get that for years since I first learned what it was. I was like, what anyway, that's another okay. discussion. but um, but you know primary elections are for ideas. They're for Democrats to talk to one another. That's how we get the platform developed. That's how we know what we care about as a country. What people, what Hillary ran on and what Bernie ran on in 2016 are different than what's happening now. Or, And in some cases, ideas that were crazy out, way out in left field in 2016 are mainstream part of the discussion now. Mm. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards. In 2004, there were 10 people on the debate stage all the way up through December before the Iowa election. I don't think that was a bad thing. I think a lot of good things came out of that election. We did not win, but there are many reasons for that. But the Democratic Party moved forward. People, especially in these uncertain times, need to talk to one another. They need to listen to one another. We as a party need to listen to everybody in the party and if you think oh let's whittle it down so it'll be more convenient for the media to cover and they won't have to spend as much money covering the race well screw that it's the <laughs> media's job
1: yeah i actually i don't know anybody who's who's raised this point and sort of say to save money for the media all right let's go back so now oh
0: the tv stations oh, talk fair. about it all the time not fair a point. A, not in public yeah. but it cost uh, them I meant a voters. lot of money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right so uh, Kevin so you, all right so now we know why you were there. So it was just sort of and so this was in Miami this is last week you were there for the second debate. Uh, they probably don't let you go.
0: No, we were there for, for the first debate also. We, we were, were in the spin room for the first We were in, in the, the spin room for debate. the
1: first debate but not in the hall. Now, why do they oh they let all the candidates in the spin room even if they're not yep. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So all right well, what was the atmosphere like in the hall?
2: Um it was um, it was uh, Harris's Hall. Um, Kamala, her supporters were the loudest people there. <coughs> Excuse me, my cough button. Uh, her, um, her supporters were the loudest uh, during commercial breaks. Yeah. Um, they would shout out to her. Yeah. Um, there was um, Tom Perez came out and gave a, um, um, a warm up speech like a comedian before the Tonight Show. Tom Perez, ahead of the head Democratic Party. He had a party. Mm-hmm. And um, he talked about how we were speed dating. Um, and that people should look to date a couple, uh, two or three people. He actually said this. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, and that you know we'll be you know the time now is time for us to, to fall into love, and then eventually we'll get to a point where we'll fall in line, which is the old Republican. He actually joke. said that. Yes, I was kind of surprised. It was a public, you know, this was this is not an off the record situation. Yeah. Um. Then the, um, you know, as the debate started, it was incredibly intense in the room. Now, I, I was a stand-up comic for about, t- about t- six, seven, ten years. Uh, my lives get longer. And so you can feel the temperature in a room when you're going to do a performance, and you can gauge that. And it was incredibly intense in the room, and you could even feel what part of the stage was so intense. And that was that center part where it was Biden and Bernie. And there was just like this energy field around them. And you could fe- feel it. You could see it. You could see the intensity from the other candidates as they're looking towards the center on who they needed to talk to and who they needed to talk about. Um, the moderators were desperately trying to control what was going on on stage. Um, <laughs> to you moderate. Know, we have to do the I, I think next time, I think next time they should bring in some retired Catholic nuns <laughs> who taught kindergarten. Yeah. Um, because those would be the most patient, and maybe particularly a nun who like left the sisterhood but still believes.
0: I, I have a little bit different opinion about the moderators. Yeah. I think the moderators should have been there to ask questions. I think they should have asked the same number of questions of all the candidates. The moderators were using the old Mayor Daily" rule and literally turning off people's microphones when Andrew Yang says his microphone wasn't on believe andrew yang his microphone was not on they did the same thing to marianne williamson they did the same thing to swaywell and to hickenlooper and the further outside you got on the on the uh out from the center of the stage the more your mics didn't somehow work
2: and that was most apparent in the hall itself because the mic because when somebody would start talking and then the house sound wasn't on so, in other words,
1: uh, at, at some point... I, I did notice this when I was watching on the tube Somebody would be screaming from the sides to be heard. Right. And then, at first, they weren't miked. And then, at, su- at some point, somebody made a decision to turn up so let's say Swawa was like bellowing, and then at some point, uh, I don't know, some techie made a decision or the techie supervisor. Right. They were potted down.
4: <laughs> As exactly. we said nice. from my
2: radio engineering yeah. nice. days. Nice. <laughs> yes. And, and what are these called? Do you know? Uh, Cans. Well, <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, I even Come knew on. that. Come on.
2: Oh, barely, man. Hey. Hey.
0: I was a print journalist and I even knew <laughs> cans uh, and brought it down.
2: I, I, was, I was the golden voice of McCoy. Maca- I was Kevin Kelly in the mornings on WIUS <laughs> but 88.
0: Was 88.3. What was really annoying to me mm-hmm. was they told us in every meeting and in every walkthrough that all of the candidates would get the same number of questions well you watch the debate guys do you think everybody got the same number of no. questions Hell no. no no right no that's just bullshit yeah I mean it's just bad it's bad rules then Chuck Todd spoke more words than all but help me out Dennis was it three or four candidates Chuck Todd was either number three or four in the word count.
1: Uh-huh. I don't want to steal your thunder, but his response, talk about oh, this. Oh,
3: just how Chuck Todd, his performance, I guess? No, not just Chuck Todd, but the people
1: the, the people asking the questions we would tell the audience, I mean, they'd tell the candidates, hurry up!
3: <laughs> And then, they'd and take then they'd four <laughs> they take. Oh my God! To yeah, ask. they would take their. It yeah. wasn't Chuck Todd; it was, it was that the other oh guy. He's like, "So on the night of June twenty-first, <laughs> da 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 and you could see Kamal Harris she's like, okay, come on, dude, come on, come yeah, on, come yeah. on,' and he just kept going and going. Yeah. So they tell the candidates to yeah, wrap it up, and yeah. they can take all the damn time <laughs> they need. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Oh, it, and having from I sat uh, <laughs> near the back of the back of the house, but I sat on the seat overlooking down, mm-hmm. and uh Chuck Todd should meet with Brian Urlacher. Oh um,
3: <laughs> um, Don't get me started on that. The worst haircut and all the political. Uh, oh, it's not a haircut
2: tonight. It's not a haircut. It's a maneuver. He <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> should get with her like her. Uh,
1: Sorry, I, I,
0: I was, I was really, I was disappointed in that because I, you know, I at Cards Against Humanity. Nice little plug for Chicago. We did an Attorney General's debate in the last race, and there were only what. Six candidates, or were there eight? Oh, you
1: talking about the Democratic, primary? yeah,
0: Democratic primary. Six, mm. eight. There was a whole bunch
1: of them. There were a lot of them because I remember we interviewed them. Yeah. There
0: was a lot of them, and we did a big debate with them. And you know, we made sure uh, we're going to ask this question. We'll start on this end. We'll start on this end. Everybody gets the same number, but that means you know, you only get. Or questions or whatever. I also thought it was a huge disadvantage that they did not have opening statements. So for somebody like Joe Biden, that's great. Everybody knows who Joe Biden is. Everybody knows who Bernie Sanders is. But for Andrew Yang and for Hickenlooper and for the other candidates, for them not to have an opening statement to be to tell people who they were. That was, I think, one of the reasons that Marianne Williamson ended up being the most Googled person was because she didn't have Senator Marianne Williamson. And people were like, yeah. oh, well, who is Tulsi this?
1: Gabbard. Uh, yeah. I, OK, I've been taking so much heat from so many different people. One. I really like Tulsi Gabbard. I've taken heat from many of my listeners on that. Uh,
3: matter And guests.
1: And guests. Ramana Hussein really raked me over the coals in that one. Uh, and I also like Marianne Williamson uh, because she reminded me of so many people that I've met at various yoga studios. Uh, I've been taking a lot of heat on that one. Many of our listeners have asked me to stop talking about Marianne Williamson. Well, I think
0: they should go to her website and read her issues. I think they might be a little surprised about what they find. You know, she's also, she's been a best-selling author for 30 years. She's had what six books on the new york times bestseller list you don't get that unless you have something to say people don't buy your books
1: let me ask you this uh you let's think about this kitty kurth in 2016 you just think about this 2016 you were ready to uh join the campaign for joe biden he decided not to run but you were right there ready to uh, work for him Joe, you don't get more conventional as a politician than uh, the man I affectionately call Grandpa Joe. All right. Now you're supporting Marion Williamson. You're working for her campaign. Different
0: times call for different voices. Talk about this. Different times call for different ideas. Right now, we as a party have lost a lot. We as a country. Sorry, not we as a party. We as a country, there are people listening to Donald Trump that we, the Democratic Party, can't reach anymore through the ways we've been talking. We need to talk to people in different ways. We need to use different words. We need people to hear things. People hear things differently. Um, we need to bring more people to the party. If we just chop up the number of Democrats a bunch of, um, amongst a bunch of people, that's not going to do anything to build the party for the, for the uh, general election. One of the things that is interesting, in addition to the Department of Peace, the Department of Children and Reparations, that's interesting to me about Marianne Williamson, she's got about 3 million Twitter followers, and I think probably more supporters than that, who are coming to look at the elections and the electoral process who haven't been involved before. I think we need that. I think we need that as a party to win in november of 2020 if they come and they get excited about politics now hopefully they will stay hopefully they will enjoy the process they'll understand that they have a stake in the process and they'll stay around for the
1: general election
2: mm. do you see it that way as well kevin of course yeah it. it you know they did a, a 538 looked at marianne's twitter followers Mm -hmm. Uh, of all the presidential candidates, she has the least number of Twitter followers who follow another presidential candidate. So that means
4: she's regularly
2: reaching people that are disengaged, at least through Twitter as a statement of being engaged, of engagement, that that need to be part of the process. Mm -hmm. And Kitty and I have always come from this philosophy in politics of addition, not subtraction. We need to add more voters, The problems that Democrats and liberals and on the left have is we sometimes forget this is not about persuasion. This is about motivation. We need to motivate more people to participate in the process. When more people vote, the left wins. When people stay home, we lose. Just like the last time, 30,000 people spread over Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Those people were there. They just didn't show up.
0: And we need somebody who's talking about vision we need somebody who's talking about a way to lead america you know donald trump didn't win because he had great plans and great policy positions i love elizabeth warren i think she does have a lot of good plans but people are not motivated many people are not motivated by plans they're motivated by vision
1: now let's talk about that marianne williamson in the debate Said Plans don't win presidential. I'm paraphrasing what she said.
0: We didn't win. Obama won with hope. Obama didn't win with his 10-point plan for the economy.
1: Now, was that something that you uh, wrote for her, no. Kitty, when she said that? That was no. something she came That's, up with on her own. That,
0: everything she says is stuff she's either said before or she's wrote. It's Nice writing for a writer. You don't have to write a lot.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you in yeah. a little secret about how we work with our clients. Okay. We made a mistake once of turning somebody into something they weren't. And so we will never do that again. Um, we work with Paul R. Suspagina, the, the real-life hero of the movie Hotel Rwanda. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people around him who wants to turn him into a politician. We are desperately, every time we work with him, make sure that people remember him as a humanitarian. That's who he is, and that's what he should be.
0: And that's where, why people listen to him and how he has his voice.
2: Mm-hmm. And so it's important to not turn somebody into something they're not. And so our role with, with clients like like Marianne and anybody we work with is make sure what is their core message and help them to deliver it better. And help them, you so know, we don't want to turn them message? into something they're not. What is their core message?
0: Department of Children, Department of Peace, and reparations.
2: And then it's with and, love. And love. It's with love. She has a we, line she used at um at at a couple in of in Iowa where she talked about the last time we won, we won with hope. This time we'll win with love. That's where the difference between a plan and a vision exists. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk you know, Trump he, he has this he has he has a, he's, he's he's the same thing, except he's about hate.
0: Yeah, the other side of the coin, and that's what we're afraid of. You know we've worked with that group, Hope Not Hate, in Britain all these years to stem the tide of anti-Semitism and anti-Islamophobia and to bring communities together. When I look at her message and her message of you know, the politics of love, it sounds crazy until you read it and then you realize, like, oh, we really do need this. Our country has gone too far. It's what Hope Not Hate has been working on in Britain for the past... 15, 20 years, bringing communities together, getting people to work together, letting people see the humanity in one another instead of the differences in one another.
2: We're actually, we're working in the Barkham and Dangham neighborhood of uh, East London with Hope Not Hate. And they're working against the British National Party, which is the precursor to UKIP and to the Brexit movement and just a fascist hateful. Kevin should be
0: using past tense. He meant to say we were working. Yes.
2: Got it. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Only because he's telling a story about 2010.
2: Yes. (laughs) Even before. And so Hold Not Hate went into this neighborhood that was changing. Yeah. And it was where the British National Party was getting a stronghold with their fascist, racist message.
0: Which is what, like, it's the precursor to the party that Nigel Farage and the Brexiteers run now.
2: And so but hope not hate went in there with the message of hope. They brought people together. One of the things they would do they would they would gather people for community meals, and everybody would bring a dish from the land where they immigrated from, mm-hmm. or a traditional dish, and people would get around and talk to each other. Um, the, uh, Eddie Izard would come walk precincts, and um, um, and so Billy, what happened was Billy Bragg Billy Bragg would come and sing, and and, and it, was, it brought people together, and they went out there with this message of hope, and then along comes the election. And all they're saying is, you know, don't vote for the MP. They're the party that's against hope. Mm-hmm. Vote hopefully. And They didn't suggest anybody to vote for. It was one of the few places in Great Britain that labor won. Up and down. BMP got knocked out of the neighborhood when somebody came in there with a message based on love and hope. And I guess I'm a little Pollyanna, but I'd rather be talking about that than about hate And and hate is such an easy motivator. Gosh, it's easy to motivate pissed off people. We
0: went down to Homestead with Marianne the day after the debate. And uh, it's worse. It's worse than anything that you can think about when you see kids in our country, in the United States of America. They have these kids and they're kids. And they're in a concentration camp because they wanted freedom. How is that our country? How can we allow that to happen?
2: Down at Homestead, right across the street from the from the detention camp, the prison jail, um, they have the activists have set up ladders for people to see in, so that you can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and when you stand on this and look at these kids being marched around, it's like watching a prison movie from the '60s of of of, of, of inmates. The worst inmates in the worst in possible a Nazi situation. Camp. And it is it is heart wrenching. And this is what's going on. It was so heart wrenching that the Miami Dade police were like the friendliest police in the in the world. They wanted people to see what was going they on. They
0: want people to see it. There's a group we worked with down there called Witness Torneo Target Homestead. They were the the citizens who were able to shut down Torneo. They go and stand witness every day. They stand on the letters so that the kids can see them, so the kids know that somebody's watching and trying to help and that their people care we haven't forgotten about them. But that's all they can do. You know, the government says, Oh, we you know, we can't afford soap, we can't afford toothpaste, but they won't even let citizen groups come in and bring supplies for the kids. They won't let anybody give Okay, the government says, hey, we can't afford this. But they won't let anyone else bring in anything to help these kids either.
2: But the company that is the, the for-profit prison company that's running this operation gets $750 per
0: day. Per child. Per, per child. Per child. Day. Yeah. Per, per, child day. per child. Per day. Yeah. $750 to keep a kid who hasn't done anything except wish for freedom And wish for the American dream that my great-grandparents and your great-grandparents or your grandparents that all of our families wanted, Mm -hmm. but these kids are in jail for it. How is this our country? How is this the the, the America that they fought the revolution for, including in the airports, according to President Trump?
2: And I will say we're, we're proud to say that one of the reasons all the presidential candidates from Miami made the trek out to Homestead was they reached out to our campaign first. Um, and we're the first ones to say yes.
0: The people, actually, the people that run the, that are the volunteers are fans of Marianne from her politics of love. They called us. They said, will you come? Because if you'll come, we can get the other candidates
4: All right, to come.
1: So I asked Kevin about uh, the rea- what it was like in the room. Now let's switch things. Talk about the spin room where the reporters are gathered and uh, the operatives, the strategists, the spokespeople for the campaigns <coughs> try to quote unquote spin the reporters kitty you're in that room what a tough job and i'll let me explain this uh right after the debate we had uh, ramana hussein who is a great person Love her dearly and she's a regular every friday on our show and she's from the sun times but and uh she is a classic chicago journalist and her attitude about marian williamson was to basically roll her eyes and say that what Marion Williamson had to say sounded like a Beatles song. And whereas she loves a Beatles song, she just doesn't think it's gonna work in politics. So you must have faced that attitude when those-
0: Actually, not so much. What happened in that room Marianne's voice is literally different than the other candidates. She was dressed differently. She didn't talk for a long time because her mic wasn't on and she (laughs) they wouldn't turn it on. But then when she finally, when they finally, she was finally able to answer a question. um, And and you know we were we were nervous on her behalf because she's given hundreds of speeches over the years but giving a speech to a room full of people who pay to come hear you is a lot different than being on a stage with politicians with sharp elbows everybody trying to get in so i know that was disconcerting for her and her first answer her answers got stronger as you went along because she Got more comfortable in the situation, but it was really interesting because, you know, people were like down at their computers, and then the first time that Marianne answered, everybody looked up at the screen. We're like, what? Everybody stopped typing and looked up at the screen and listened. Sometimes even that's important, just to get people to hear a different voice, a different language. What I thought was very funny to me, not ha ha funny, but funny to me. One of the things that she got quoted for was to talk about that, you know, John F. Kennedy didn't say we're going to have a plan to go to the moon. He showed vision and he showed leadership. When Barack Obama gave a very similar answer in 2008, people thought it was one of the greatest answers of the debate. But when Marianne Williamson said it, because she's a woman, because she's got a different voice, because she comes from a different background, people made fun of it.
2: In our post-debate discussion with the team, uh, one of the things I noticed was that there was two languages being spoke on the stage. It was as if, if, if Marianne Williams was was speaking like in Shakespeare and everybody else was Neil Simon. And it was such a contrast to everything that's going on mm-hmm. because those of us in politics, we have a language. Yeah. And our listeners One, here two, three, understand 75%, that seventy-five
0: percent, nine out of ten,
2: and so all of a sudden there's this completely different voice Absolutely. in language, and style, in cadence, in tone that it's it's off putting. It's not what you expect to hear. It's like it's like it's like you know you know going to a clash concert and um, and the uh, cow sales start to play. <laughs> it's going to be something that's going to be jarring to you. Yeah,
1: and I would say this that Donald Trump represents uh, a very similar phenomenon. Precisely. Donald Trump in 2015 w- b- blew everybody's minds because no politician ever talked that way.
0: Precisely. And
1: it uh, the other, like America was like, you, you know, the, perf- the, the the media was aghast and they kept expecting it to blow up. And remember, was the USA Today say? We're not even going to put them in the political section. We're just going to cover them in the entertainment section. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, the dude's the president of the United States.
0: Did you listen to Marianne's closing argument? That was her precise message. And I think if you were to really, if she was in here and you said, why are you running? Because she believes that as a student of history, which she is, and philosophy, she believes that the only way to beat somebody like Trump is by putting a mirror up to it and with the opposite of Trump.
1: And you believe that can happen?
0: We'll see. I sure think you have to try. I th- sure think you have to wake people up.
1: Do you believe it can happen?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we and it's, it's why I stay in politics. You know, if, if I gave up every time I didn't think we could win, if I gave up every time I didn't, the, the battle was too tough. You know, we, we we've been able to we've been kidding. I've been really blessed in 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 the number of things that think we've had a positive effect on society, and we've made our mistakes and we've done well and we've done bad, but we're in the game. Yeah, and I think everybody needs to be a part of the game. If it, you know, let's have choices. Let's let everybody, you know, let's give the marketplace of ideas a fair listen.
0: I worked on climate change issues for. Twenty years when nobody was listening. I am so happy that it is part of the mainstream debate now. But I feel like it is part of the mainstream debate now, so I can find some other ideas that are at the beginning of their.
1: All right, let's let's talk about you raise the issue of the environment. This has been on my mind. Uh, i i gave you as an assignment to read that new york times story i found it astoundingly cynical even for a guy like me uh who have am accused regularly to be jaded i'll paraphrase it for you katie so you don't have to read it if you haven't had an opportunity <laughs> no i just uh,
0: was gonna draw from it actually
2: okay. uh, <laughs> draw on it and,
1: uh, <laughs> the premise of the article is that at some point within the last week What's his name? Luntz. um,
0: Frank Luntz. L-U-N-T-Z. If you haven't read his stuff, read it. Because language is important.
1: Okay. Frank Luntz, who is sort of the brains of the Republican Party and one of their chief pollsters, came to Donald Trump or the Donald Trump campaign and said, "Fellows, Do not despair my polling has showed that yes indeed there's a strong segment of the population that is worried about climate change and wants a president uh who will work to uh, protect the environment so we don't all die but that segment of the population isn't enough to swing the election they're just gonna vote democrat anyway uh there's was a ho- another part of the population that couldn't care less about the environment one way or the other and just thinks it's a hoax. And then there's this swing boat in the middle and they're not that bright and they're not really paying attention. If you could just give one speech in which you just sort of say, hey, yeah, I care about the environment, they'll be like... Oh, sounds good to me. I'll vote for Donald Trump. This, I'm just telling you what the dude and said, alright? guess
0: what? He is absolutely right.
1: Luntz? <laughs> yes. So Daddy goes, okay, I'll give a speech in the environment.
0: And everybody you know, will, know, none of those people <laughs> will have been paying attention when the head of EPA had to leave in the middle of a scandal when Big Coal is now in charge of regulating itself none of those people listening to that speech, they'll say, oh, Donald Donald Trump. He cares about the environment. Check. Good. Let's go.
1: <laughs> so how can you listen, man? How, so okay. So Donny gives a speech. I think it was yesterday. He gives a speech. He says that everything's ever, make the environment great again. And you oh, have, come on. You, how can you have you operate? to keep
0: oh. pointing out. The lies. You have to keep going. Right, well, let me read to that
1: point. Lies. Let me read you this quote that uh, Maya Duke uh has shared with us earlier, the uh, Chicago Reader Ace writer. And this is from a, uh, a journalist. I believe his name is Dave. I have no idea who old boy is. He's on Twitter, David Roberts, and somehow or other Maya found him. And this is what he wrote Dear Enviro people, indignantly fact checking Trump's Enviro speech, colon. Why? Everyone who might read your writing knows Trump is lying. The people on Trump's side don't care, capital C, capital A, R, E, just in case you didn't get the point, uh, that he's lying. Uh, Who is the envisioned person who was, A, convinced by Trump, and B, open to persuasion? Your thoughts about, (laughs) I thought I was jaded and cynical. Oh, boy, Roberts has got me beat. Come on, Kitty, what's your response?
0: Again, this is why we have to bring people who've been sitting on the sidelines into the process you know in Kentucky there are 1.5 million registered voters who don't vote Mitch McConnell won his last senate election by less than by about 250,000 between 250,000 and 300,000 votes all you got to do is say to like 20 percent of those registered but don't vote hey you know what this is really important. Here's why it's really important. You should go vote. You should vote against Mitch McConnell. He's putting kids, he's putting, separating kids from their parents and putting kids in jail for no good reason. Show them the pictures. Show them those migrant children being separated from their families. It shows that that works in. With mothers, it works. With fathers, it works. All across Middle America. So you, you disagree
1: it. with what the, what the fellow wrote? You just, you think that you think that uh, journalists should fact check Donald Trump? Should point it, out? No, the
0: I think the people that uh, agree with Donald Trump are never going to be convinced. I think we need to get the other people that haven't been paying attention. Yeah. The people who are like marginally interested. They're registered to vote, mm-hmm. right? They're registered, but they just don't vote. Mm-hmm. We got to wake those people up. We got to talk to them at the PTA and in church and at the soccer field and at, you know, wherever, wherever people see them.
2: Should you fact check?
0: uh, Oh, I just I always believe that you have to fact check and tell the truth. I believe in big truth.
2: And that's the responsibility of the media. And we as we we always talk about democracy has uh, is a stool with three legs. And there's three things you have to have to have a working democracy. You have to have free and open elections. You have have to have an active and engaged civil civil society. And you have to have a free and open press.
0: And without one of those three, democracy collapses.
2: And so, yes, the fact-checking needs to go on. But also, those of us who are out there, we also have to be motivating and not spending a lot of time talking about the stupid stuff he's saying. And to be able to, you know, this is just another so tool in our arsenal.
1: You distinguish between fact checking uh, and environmental speech. And let's say um, responding to what's his latest tweet? D. We we just did, where he was calling out. Uh, we're talking about Donald Trump here. He basically said uh, the head of uh, some official in England was an idiot. I mean, they were, I forget exactly what we, we read it earlier we today. Oh,
3: the UK ambassador, very stupid. Yeah. Oh, the okay, UK ambassador, ambassador to very very the U.S. St- yeah.
0: who. Sent back in an official cable how we all. Yeah.
3: So you
1: distinguish between yeah. a, a tweet from Donald Trump where he attacks somebody, they calls him a name, uh, and uh, a policy position. Is that no, what you're saying? No,
0: I think the media's job is to call out every time there is a misstatement. That's the media's job. Yeah. Organizers' jobs and political people's jobs are to go and talk to their friends and neighbors and to explain to them that they have a right and a responsibility, and maybe more a responsibility than a right to participate and that they have the say over their own future. But more importantly, hey, you have the say over my future, Ben, will you come and vote? I don't care if you don't care about your own family, but will you come and vote for my family? Because I really need your help on this one.
2: The, The challenge in America right now, and has been for a number of years, is we have three political parties. We have the Democrats, the Republicans, and the I don't vote party. And the I don't vote party wins every election.
0: And, it, and the I don't vote party.
2: Uh, I mean, with, they, all,
0: with all due respect, my dear husband. Okay, don't. Uh, you can cut it's this for,
2: one.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it, it's actually four parties it's the I'm registered and I don't vote, yeah. mm-hmm. and then it's. I'm not even registered, and I don't vote. All right, And the people that I'm not even registered and I don't vote, we pay attention to them every election, especially the young people, try and get more people registered. But I think we've spent a lot of time on trying to get people registered and getting them to vote. I think we've kind of forgotten that there's that other piece of the I don't vote party. The people who are registered, but just have been staying home, couldn't be bothered to go to election, or didn't have time. You know, people have busy lives. But can I move into a positive direction for a minute? Go ahead, please. In the last municipal elections, we worked with a group of women out in Parkridge who were moms and, you know, like smart women had paid attention, but none of them had ever been involved. And had not really worked for candidates and certainly had never run for election. We taught them how to run. We encouraged them to, you know, form an organization, support one another. They won seats on the school board. They won seats on the park board. Every candidate that they supported, all of the candidates in this group of women, they all won. Because they ran. Because they got involved. But, you know, you got to play to win.
1: Yeah, I, I that's something I fundamentally agree in. If you don't run, you can't win. So you got to run. What? That's number one. So if you're Marianne Williamson and you want to be president of the United States and you think that you're the person best positioned to help our country, then you absolutely, positively have to run. I and, agree.
0: And to believe in her message and to talk about changing the rhetoric and changing the discussion. You know, I worked for Paul Songus in 1992. Mm-hmm. I also didn't really think Paul Songus was going to be president, but At the time, his message for fixing the economy, for getting the deficit under control and cutting down on our national debt, in my mind, that was the most pressing issue of the day. Paul didn't win, but we were able to hold his supporters together. We formed an NGO called the Concord Coalition. We lobbied Congress. We lobbied the president and the vice president, and we got the Clinton administration, the Clinton and Gore administration, because Gore was really the one that latched on to the idea and understood. We got them to adopt our ideas about the economy. And we got the debt. Not only did the deficit go away, we got the country into surplus. Let me, let me, we fixed the budget.
1: Let me say this, uh, Kitty, and I, I've been meaning to tell you this for a long time, but you saying this, crystallize it. Uh, I remember when you were working for Saga. We talk about this. You called me up. You wanted me to write about him. And at the time, I had a very jaded, cynical Chicago guy attitude about Paul Sangus. I'm apologizing at this moment because when I look back uh, from the vantage point, it's Monday morning quarterbacking in 2019, I can make the argument that Bill Clinton has been the biggest destructive force in the Democratic Party uh, in my lifetime. And and when I say that, it's not just his personal behavior. It's not his inability to control his appetites, his bad choices and like hanging around with people like Jeffrey Epstein. It's his whole cynical attitude about politics in general and uh, the whole notion where you compromise, you move right. You you always had to beat up your base to prove yourself. I see it. I've been thinking about this for a while, meaning to tell you this, you are right. In 1992. Now, I don't know if Saga's would have defeated George Herbert Walker Bush. Oh, Perot was in the race. Perot just passed today, by the way. I don't know if he, I uh, got a
0: couple good Perot stories, Yeah, but
1: too. I I got to tell you, I think you shouldn't apologize for supporting Paul Saugus in no. 1992. And I think the Democrats, you could argue that we would have been in better shape...
0: Well, can I tell you a couple of the other reasons that I supported Paul Songus? And, you know, I eventually came to support the Clintons more El Gore than the Clintons, but, you know, it's all good. Um, Songus was a huge environmentalist. Bill Clinton was in bed with Purdue chicken. <laughs> Arkansas was hopelessly polluted. I knew that from environmental projects I had been working on. on um. In the meantime... Also, back in the day, I was working on the Great Peace March and Hands Across America. Again, two touchy-feely, you know, love, love, love your neighbor projects. I've been working on this stuff all my life. I used to work for the Peace Museum here in Chicago. You know, this is who I am. But the feedback that we got from the projects that we were working on that went through Arkansas was, you know, Clinton's really got a woman problem, and this would be a problem if he ran for president, and... I couldn't get on with it. Yeah. Also, Songus was the first guy for gay rights. He tried to pass gay rights in the House in 1974 and in the Senate in 1978. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to go with people because they have the right ideas. They might win. They might lose. But if you can push those ideas forward, the country's better in the long run. The world's better in the long run. Do you think run.
1: the United States would have been better off had George Herbert Walker been reelected as opposed to electing Bill Clinton in 92?
0: No. But I think George Herbert Walker, as much as I was horribly against him back in the day, I think he had some good notions that would have that would serve the Republican Party a lot better today than they're being served by the man in the White House.
1: Yeah. I've been uh, really thinking about this a lot because it, it, it popped up again with the Jeffrey Epstein case, which is uh, something on my mind these days, the fact that Bill Clinton was friends with him. And I'm like can't even get the words out. Uh,
2: why would you be friends with this sleaze bag? Because he had cash and a plane. Well, and that was, I mean, so much for American yeah, values. Yeah, well, I mean, and
0: not only and not only for the presidents to see, but for the Clinton Global Foundation, you're trying to put together these projects in Africa and somebody says they've got a plane and you can put some medicine on that plane and get it over to the project. So you Sign look the up. other
1: way at uh, trafficking young girls? Is that what you do? Yeah,
0: kind of like what America's looked at, done for years with other things, where we've looked the other way and chosen this dictator over that dictator because that one in, you know, this certain country in Africa, always oh, keeping things very organized, so we won't look at the fact that he's killed seven of his recent political opponents and that he's put 24 journalists in jail but he keeps things tidy and we, we can work station. with him and we got, we've got we got listening stations in that particular African country so we'll just look the other way when he kills somebody and go with him
1: Alright, uh, let's end this thing on a positive note by making fun yes. of Donald Trump yes. uh, <laughs> uh, Donald Trump's 4th of July speech, oh uh, I was uh, blissfully uh, diverted my attentions were diverted from that i was with some friends in indiana and uh, i was well, in the middle of trump country uh, you
0: you have missed yeah. comedic twitters comedic genius at its best and i am going to let mr kevin lampy the comedy part of kerth lampy explain
2: it is you know trump in the speech Uh, The the, the whole speech is just terribly written, too.
0: Which speech? Which speech?
2: Which speech? The 4th of July speech is terribly written. That he
0: gave with tanks rolling through our...
2: No, no, they parked them. They parked the (laughs) tanks. Because we didn't have that much gas. We We, 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 we didn't have that much gas. And the the tanks would destroy the streets. You know, everybody knew that. And, you know, they they filled them in in on flatbeds and... but during the speech, he decides to, you know, there's a section in speech where it's going to be this rousing thing about our, our great army, our revolutionary army. They they rammed the ramparts. They manned the airports. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, the <laughs> Twitter, Twitter exploded where where every amateur and professional comedy writer found an opportunity to talk everything from pictures of, uh, of, of, of um, a battle going on and the battle being fought over gate changes. Um, and there was a great and meme. I of, don't um, want
0: to brag, but I've been saving all my frequent flyer miles since 1776.
2: <laughs> um, you yeah. know, what was General Washington's favorite airport airline? Continental. Oh, um, so Kevin will be playing. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll be at the Comedy Womb this week. And um, Real Club but, in Lyons, Illinois. Yeah, but, but seriously. But, so then there's another one where there's, the, there's a picture. You see a side shot of a moving walkway and people moving from, from left an to airport. right. In an airport. Moving from left to right along your screen. And then all of a sudden, there comes George and his guys crossing the Delaware. Crossing and going across yeah. the screen right in front of you in and out. You know, and. That version of the speech goes up on the White House's website.
0: And they haven't taken it down. And for those of you who might not be students of history, (laughs) airplanes weren't invented until, you you know, Wilbur Wright and Orville Wright at Kitty Hawk in, I think, 1960. I think it was 1903. 1903. Yeah, 1903, yeah, because we had we had certain. we did have we and have war, had airplanes in the revolutionary and many war.
2: Other. Was when? Well, so I'm pretty sure
0: it was 1776. And then this yeah. whole but, analogy
2: but. of him talking about the Revolutionary War <laughs> yeah. then brings in a an imagery of Fort McHenry. Well, wait—that's War of eighteen twelve. <laughs> I'm not even sure if you went up to the president and says, "Sir, uh, when was the War of eighteen twelve fought?" I yeah. um, he would know. Probably the nineteenth century. Yeah. I, I, uh, how could you, it's it's mind boggling. Yeah.
1: Um, it, <laughs> now wait, time out, Kitty. You were saying uh, could, was, could mm-hmm. that have been a uh, speechwriter's fault or whose fa- mistake was no. to say? Okay. And, you know, this is,
0: but having said that, this is, it is, it's a bigger problem at this White House. There is no vetting of speeches. There is no vetting of people who are coming to work in the White House. That's why you get people who beat up their wives, you know, working for us on the national stage. There is no vetting of who's coming in as a cabinet, um, as a cabinet secretary. There is no vetting of Anything. This is why our system is—it's it, as full of holes of corruption as Swiss cheese.
2: And, and, and there is no preparation and no good advance work. Now, somebody says, say, "Oh, advance work—that's just you know political stuff and that's said, just said, smoke stuff.
0: and mirrors." Well, if
2: you know, if, if you've ever had a mom. Um, you know, moms are the master of advance. You know, they know how to move a family like from home to church and back home again. Yeah, they or know how to vacation. put all the
0: all the lunches together yeah, the, the night before and have everybody ready to leave at a certain time. That's what advance does.
2: And and you know, for their people to not be prepared for the not being prepared for rain. Yeah, you, you, you know, they have a weather service. They're
0: outside. They're outside <laughs> yeah. in July Noah. in Washington D.C. <laughs> There might be rain. Yeah. you got to prepare for that. It, it just...
2: And then, then God came in the next day and flooded the city. Yeah. So, um, you know...
3: Yeah.
0: I, to show Donald Trump, hey, you're not listening to the... And it's interesting because there are... There's a whole huge group of people of faith that are talking about climate change and that are talking about stewardship of the environment and that are doing things locally and globally to work on environmental issues between, like, planning food in food deserts to taking care of their own neighborhoods to taking to planting trees all over right. there are people of faith who understand that climate change is not something that god is doing to us it's something we're doing to ourselves but even though I'm kind of an atheist, I do think that God or Mother Nature, the day after that speech, decided to show Donald Trump who was boss. Because if you saw that flooding in D.C. the next day, it was yeah. crazy. By
1: the way, I don't know if you can be kind of an atheist. That's like being kind of pregnant.
0: Yeah. I You know, I change every day, Ben. I change every day.
2: All right. Okay. I
0: believe in love. Right. I just don't know if I believe in, like, a thing called God. All right, I believe in the power of love in each of us.
1: All right. And uh, we'll head off with your movie recommendation. Speaking of love, uh, <laughs> let's keep the love theme going. Uh, Let and I think we all agree on this one.
0: Yes. So go see yesterday. The music's great. The story's yeah, cute. Well-written music. Great, great acting. <laughs> well written music and very well performed. But we went to go see it in a in a self proclaimed um, double feature. We saw it with Rocket Man, the movie about Elton John, and everybody should go see Rocket Man as well. Mm-hmm. Really have, touching. I've seen it was both very movies. touching.
2: Yes. But yesterday was it could have taken so many bad turns. Um, it, could, it could have gone into such a small, sea you know, sappy area. It never did. It, it's well acted. It's well directed. I will say something as a, as a former film minor from the illustrious Western <laughs> Illinois University. Yeah. The uh, Harvard on the LeMoyne. Yeah. And um, one of the things to look for in the background in the movie as you watched uh, yesterday, look for the number of times you see exit signs and arrows pointing to a way out.
3: Yeah. throughout the whole oh,
2: movie. Oh, no, didn't notice that. You gotta go back and watch. it intensifies as you get nearer and nearer the end. There's more and more of these no, arrows exit and exit signs. signs start to appear. Oh, hold on one second, Dennis. Can you pass me that bonk, please? <laughs> oh,
4: <laughs> man. I did not see <laughs>
1: Well, I got I Doritos. So you, don't we're even all need, sad.
0: you know, it's not, a, it's pretty obvious. You don't even I need I a even bomb. Know to, you know what? Just, I'm gonna, just wear your, wear your distance glasses next time. <laughs> ben.
1: By, by the way, I, I have to tell you this. Uh, if I like a movie, I see it twice. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you just made an allusion uh, to Hands Across America, which reminded me that I, uh, one of the things I did over the 4th of July holidays, watched the movie Us, U.S. again, and uh, that's a Jordan Peele movie and the, the Hands Across America are you to watch it. It's you can what you can rent it. I don't know if you how you rent your movies. I got it from Redbox. Uh there's a big hands across America theme and I'll leave nothing more. But uh, I will urge everybody if you're really uh into movies as I am and I am obsessed with movies, it's a lot of fun to watch the movie again uh on uh as a DVD or whatever and with uh, closed captions, the subtitles, yep. because, man, I didn't get us the first time I saw it because mo- I missed half the, the uh, dialogue because it was a bad sound in the theater. And uh, I have to tell you, I really appreciated it immensely the second time I saw it. So.
0: We started watching um, stuff at home with closed captions for one of our kids who is a new American and sometimes especially like if it's British English or something it's hard for him yes. to understand so we always watch close with the um, subtitles at home yeah. it really helps no,
1: <laughs> it helps so I urge everybody I'm going to watch when yesterday comes out which it probably won't be for another month or so because it's doing pretty well in the theaters I'll watch it again but I urge everybody I agree uh, with Kitty and Kevin on this one run don't walk if you're a Beatles fan if you like Beatles if you don't like Beatles music you know even if you li-
0: even if you like the Rolling Stones you should still go see it. <laughs> Can you
1: imagine if they did this movie with the Rolling Stones? Anyway. Uh, by the way, I saw another a Rolling Stones movie over the four. Olé, olé, olé. I'll throw that out there, anybody. It's a great documentary about the Rolling Stones. All right. Kitty Kurth, Kevin Lampy, thank you so much for coming in. Appreciate it always. We call them the political love couple. They're not only a married couple, but they're business partners, uh, and they're working for Marion William- Williamson in this campaign, and they were so nice. They gave me a button. How about that? <laughs> if we were on the air, I would show people yeah.
2: this So c- can I say hi to my cousin Sam, or I can't do that? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, he okay. just did it. Oh, you can do it again. That's right. All right. My cousin Sam, who uh, who is a big fan of yours. Oh, okay. Cousin Sam. Yes. Hi to you, cousins. I look at the camera.
1: The good camera's camera not going to see yes. All right. Very good. Uh, Kitty, Kevin, and cousin Sam, thank you very much. All Thanks, right. Ben. You are the best. Take, Take care, care, everybody.